I think somebody dropped it. So I'm going to give it to Cody, our worship leader. Hand off. It's now in his hands. And so um, he's going to be in the back. And so if this is yours, um, then he'll meet you in the back. If it's not, then I don't know. We'll give it to the lost and found here. <laughs> so, well, good morning. I, I, you're in for a, a fun day. It's, we're having a picnic, as you heard and as you saw. And should be a really good time out there after service. And I hope you brought sunscreen. It's going to be a warm one today. And so stay hydrated and keep applying that sunscreen. They say you got to do it often. So I would encourage you on that. This morning what we're doing is we're starting a new message series looking at the struggle that we face in this world and how it's really like a fight. Just moving forward, pressing on in life. It's just it's a constant battle. And in the Bible, there's this fight theme that runs throughout the pages of Scripture, that you learn that we're actually in a fight. We're constantly dealing with problems. We're constantly under pressure and facing opposition. And so I really, this morning, want to look at the reasons why. Why is there problems in the world? Where is this coming from? When we talk about the question of evil and suffering and pain and all these problems that we see, really the big question that pops us is, where did this come from? Why is this happening? And then how are we to respond um, many of you here this morning have already decided to follow Christ. You've made a decision to turn your life to, you know, turn your life over to Jesus Christ and become a Christian. Many of you are also here probably, and you're not yet in that point where you're ready to turn your life over to Christ. You're you're somewhere in the process, um, and maybe you're here because you're just trying to learn more or you're investigating what it means to follow Jesus, and you're trying to figure out this whole Christian. Christianity thing. And so wherever you're at, I'm really glad you're here this morning. This morning we're looking at, um, over the next four weeks, the topic is spiritual warfare and how life is really like a battle. And so let's pray as we, uh, before we begin. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your presence here. We acknowledge that you are here. And um, God, we ask you right now to just restrain um, anything, Lord, that would draw attention away from you and what you want to say to us. And so, Lord, just hold back and restrain anything that would distract. And, Lord, give us the ability to hear from you this morning. Lord, help us to understand what, what, the, what your word, the Bible, says. Lord, I pray that you give me the ability through your Holy Spirit to just speak your words and, and to communicate your truth. And, Lord, I pray for those that are here that they would, all of us would just listen to you and respond to you as you show us things you want us to, to understand or to change or to address in our own lives. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would really speak and draw us closer to you in, in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, these are troubled times for our world. We know that. When we turn on the news and we see it, we see murder, we see crime. Uh, many times we flip through that part of the newspaper or we scan quickly through that on the Internet because it's easier for us just to remove ourselves from the problems of this world. Sometimes it hits us hard as a country and the whole country it turns its attention to some town or some catastrophe and chaos, and we, we get rocked because we recognize, wow, this is not right. This should not be happening. And it shakes us as to the core as, as a country and as people. Um, because here in the U.S., there's a sense of restraint in our country. There's a sense of order and restraint. And so we know there's problems in the world, and sometimes they hit close to home. But for the most part, we can just be easily distracted from the problems in this world, can't we? And you just kind of acknowledge it, even grieve over it, but then to get distracted long enough to where we can just 
do our own thing again and just get focused on our own little world and our own lives. And we know there's problems, but we detach. Um, did you know around the world there is just conflict all around? Obviously you do. Look at some of these stats. These are active wars going on throughout the world. In, in Africa, there are 24 countries currently at war in Africa. 24 countries. In Asia, there's 15 countries at war. In Europe, there's eight countries at war. In the Middle East, there's eight countries at war. And in the Americas, there are five countries at war. This is a picture of some Peruvian soldiers. In summary, there are currently 60 different countries that have active wars going on. And in addition to that, there's just under 400 um, different like fights against guerrilla separatist groups to where... There's this militias, and, and so there's all of this conflict in the world around us. We're, we're living in a troubled world. But unless you have family in some of these regions, um, it's just easy to just unplug from that. It's easy to detach ourselves from the problems in the world. And we all know we live in a broken world, but for whatever reason, in our country, we somehow have just managed to drown ourselves in recreation, in, in family life, in the media, in our careers, in party life. And we just kind of drown ourselves in all sorts of stuff to where we don't really have to engage with the world around us, don't we? And some of you have been able to, to travel overseas and, and do different things and, and your eyes have been open to the problems of the world and, and sometimes you, you're shaking and you're like, I want to do something about that. Um, but here in our country, there's just such this sense of restraint and order that we can just kind of do our thing and live in the whole of this American cultural dream. And the truth is, everyone around the world, all humanity, actually is able to just unplug from things at times and to just focus on their own world. And it's harder for some. If there's war going on around you, then it's hard to just detach. But what the Bible teaches is that we've all kind of decided to go our own way in life. We've all set out to just live my way. And we walk on this path. And you'll see this diagram up here where we just walk our own path in life. We decide what, what our life is going to look like. We set out and we focus on certain goals, certain dreams. We write the rules for how we're going to live. And when we're on our path, we just, we're, we're in charge. We're the boss. We set the boundaries. We set the limits. It's, it's pretty much about us. And this is really what the Bible says all mankind has chosen to do. We've all decided to rebel and to go our own way in life, to not go God's way. And But then for many of you here, you have decided, some of you have decided at one point or another to turn around and to stop going your own way and to do kind of this U-turn and decide to go God's way. You give your life over to Jesus Christ and begin to walk a new path. Now God and His laws, His ways, they define what's right and wrong. And, and you know, we're, we're, on, we're on track with Him. We start walking with Him. So there's this, I was going my way, now I'm going God's way experience that many of you have have experienced that's actually the process you know that we would say that's person becomes a christian they decide to they admit that they're a sinner and they were going their own way and they decided to, to get off the path they were on turn around start going god's way to yield their life to jesus christ and to start doing life differently and what jesus does when he enters into a person is he gives us a fresh identity he gives us a new start in life he gives us a, a new purpose in life and we start getting out of the Bible. We, we start relating to Him. We, we read the Bible. We start 
interacting with other Christ followers. We start learning more about Him. We start praying and we start doing these new things. And as we get into the Bible, we are introduced to different images of the Christian life. And so I want to show you some of the images of the Christian life that, that come up as you study the Bible. One of the images is the child of God. That if you're a Christian, you are now a child of God. It means you're part of the family of God. You have brothers and sisters. And knowing that you have you know, many other Christ followers that you're to relate to as family, that, that kind of dictates the way we treat each other. So we, we love each other in a certain way. We, we relate to each other like family. We are concerned for each other. You're a child of God. There's other children in God's family. That's one image that may come to your mind. Another image is the image of the disciple. You find this in the Bible. A disciple simply means follow the Master. You're focused on obeying the Master. And so many people, when they become Christians, at least for me, this word really kind of was burned into my mind. Like, I need to understand what God wants. He's now the boss of my life. And I want to, I want to align my life with the will of the Master. I want to, that's what a disciple does. That's an image I have in my mind. Another image is the image of Christian. Just the broad term of Christian. It's not used often in the Bible. It was actually used as an insulting label that people around when the you know, first century Christians were alive, people used that as an insult to insult the Christ followers. You're Christians. That like, means little Christs. It was intended to be an insult, but for those who received that insult, it was actually like a great honor to them. But that's certainly an image. Another image is the image of sheep. The Bible talks about we're like sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. We go our own way. We're part of the flock of God. We, it emphasizes our vulnerability as sheep. You need you know, a shepherd who's looking over you, protecting you. Here's another image. The image of the people of God. This stresses how we have a privileged position. We're, you know, the people of God were chosen. God said all throughout the Bible... I will be, or they will be my people. He calls this group of people His. And He says, and I will be their God. That, in our minds, it creates some imagery. Another image is we're part of the church. The church has to do with we're, we're called out by God from the rest of humanity. Or the word, or the phrase, member of the body. Member of the body. We're part of, we're part of something larger. The body of Christ. There's this interconnectivity where my life makes a difference, your life makes a difference. As we get involved, there's this connection and, and how as we all work together, we can get more accomplished as members of the body. That's, that's a certain image. Another one is the image of saint. You know, Bible calls Christians saints, people who have been set apart for a purpose. Or the word alien It's another image that comes up. And aliens, you know, in your mind, in my mind, I, I think, you know, like Area 51, I think crazy, predator, aliens, all that kind of stuff. That's not the image of alien in Scripture for, for the Christian life. The image of the alien is it stresses our loyalty to the heavenly realm. Like this world is not our home. We're going to spend all eternity with, with the Lord in heaven. And so we're aliens here. This, we don't belong here. We don't quite fit here. There's some things that are always rubbing us the wrong way. It's because this is not our home. God is he's leading us to heaven. Another image is the image of priest. We, we don't need to go to a priest, we are now, the Bible says that, that Christians are priests. They can approach the Father directly. They don't need to go through someone else. Jesus actually mediated a relationship between God the Father and us. And so we can go straight to the Father. We can pray directly to God. We don't have to go through anyone else. We can just go straight to Him. There's all these different images of the Christian life. And I don't know, which ones do you gravitate towards? You probably have certain ones that 
in your mind, they mean a lot to you. And you, you, even some of these can kind of be buzzwords for a while in the Christian culture. Like there's movements, the disciple making movement or the, you know, I don't know if the alien movement has ever really taken root, but there's these different, we gravitate towards these things. Well, here's another image, the soldier. The soldier. This probably is not our preferred image for the Christian life, that we're soldiers in a battle. But if you have already decided to follow Christ, then what you find yourself is you're, you're right in the middle of a battle. There's a warfare theme that runs through the pages of Scripture that if you read the Bible, it's impossible for us to deny. We're at war. We're in a battle spiritually. And we are involved in it, not just in a organizational or as a whole church level or people of God level, but on a very personal level. We're engaged in spiritual war. And it's raging on, but depending on where we're standing, we can miss this whole idea. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not just me and you fighting each other. But the real struggle, it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We don't usually breach the spiritual dimension. We usually like to operate in the physical dimension alone. What we can see, what we can hear, what we can you know, touch. and We deal with the physical, but then sometimes we get in the Scripture and we realize there's something more going on here. There's a spiritual dimension that's very real that God talks about, and there's this fierce battle being fought right now. But again, we have a, a temptation to just draw back from that and detach even from that war, just like we do from the wars around the world. We can detach ourselves from the spiritual war as well. So I want to give you a brief history of the warfare. This is not in your uh, listening, guys. So if you want, you can just jot it down somewhere or just track with me. Before creation, before anything that you and I know ever existed, there was only one God. There was eternal God. An eternal God. He has existed eternally and known as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So before everything was made, there was an eternal God. And then within the Trinity, the decision was made to create the universe. To create, along with the universe, humanity to manage what would become created, the earth. Also, before anything was created within the Trinity, within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there was also a plan to redeem this humanity that would eventually fall and give way to sin. And so, even before anything was made, there was already a plan in place to redeem fallen humanity. So what God did, He started creating things. He created the universe, the angels, the planets, the stars, the creatures. He created us, like mankind, to rule the earth. And He said at the very end of everything that He created, He said, it's all what? It's all good. He looked at all His creation and He said, it was all good. There was nothing wrong. It was all perfect at that point. There was no sin in the world at that point. And then sometime after the seventh day of creation, within the angelic realm, there was a major rebellion. This huge rebellion occurring within the angelic realm. And it divided the loyalties of the kingdom. But this rebellion even was within the sovereign control of God. Like God was not like, "Uh uh-oh, what happened? He, He... He was still in charge. His plan was still being carried out because this was part of His sovereign plan. 
the demonic leader Satan, the chief, Satan, he tempted Eve, he deceived Eve, Eve, and Adam and Eve sinned. And when he tempted them, here's what happened. Adam, at that point, God gave Adam authority over the world. He said, you and, you and Eve, you guys are going to manage this world. You're going to rule over this world. You're not going to be master to the world. It will be your master. You're going to rule over this world. You're in charge. And when Adam was tempted and then sinned, what happened was, when he sinned, the world passed from his control to Satan's control. Huge in the spiritual realm. Major shift of authority went from Adam's leadership and rule over the earth to Satan at the point when sin entered the world. Mankind at that point became enslaved to Satan. And Satan blinded mankind to the truth about God. So Satan has, since that point, been blinding the whole world to discovering how to connect with God or reconnect with God, the God who made us. And the kingdom has been divided. And at just the right time, so then that's, that's all just up to Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters the world, rule is handed from Adam to Satan, and now Satan's really in charge of this world. And from then on, God calls out a people, a group of people, the people of Israel, and He begins to relate to them, calls them His people. He says, I will be your God. He creates a law, a way of living. They continue to rebel because now sin was being passed on generationally. And they continued to rebel, continued to rebel. They could not get it right. Through all the opportunities of making things right, they still the sin problem was not being fixed. And so at just the right time, God the Father sent the Son to earth as a man to destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus, the Son of God, He, he, he became a man and He came to earth. He obeyed perfectly in a way that Adam just could not do. He lived a perfect life, and then He died as a sacrifice for the sin of the people. And then He rose again, the Scripture teaches, defeating, when He rose, He defeated sin, death, and the devil. Again, huge um, moment in history and in time when that happened. And then Jesus, the Son of God, He ascended after that, He ascended into heaven 40 days after His resurrection. And Scripture says He promised to return one day to finally deal with Satan. To deal with Satan and to judge the whole world. Um, Bible teaches that what's going to happen to Satan at the end is he's going to, be, going to be given freedom to deceive the world further, but then at a certain point he's going to be chained and then Jesus will deal with him. Eventually, he'll send him to hell to where he'll be punished for all eternity. Tormented, says day and night, day and night, day and night. And this is, this is what's going on in this is part of the spiritual cosmic battle that is happening. Once Satan has been destroyed, the rule of the universe will return to the Father. See, it was supposed to be Adam's. Adam sinned, lost the right to rule, handed over to Satan. At that point, when Satan, and he is defeated completely and sent to hell, the rule will be given back to the Father. The rule of the world will be given back to the Father and Jesus Christ, Scripture teaches, will be head over the church for all eternity. So there's this huge war going on. We don't see all this stuff happening. We can see the effects of a lot of it. We can see some of it on occasion. But in the meantime, those who are in the world, we find ourselves only being living in one of two realms. The first realm is the domain of darkness. This is for those people still blinded to the truth by Satan. 
This could be some of you this morning. You're blinded because Satan, who rules over this world, he has blinded the world from being able to discover how to get connected with God. And so Satan continues to kind of put this haze over our eyes, keep us distracted, keep us focused on other things, living for our own desires, the desires of our eyes, the desires of our flesh, the desires of just the passions that, that are within us. And life, you know, is just, it continues to just be bad. And then we find ourselves in the, in the domain of darkness, just headed for judgment and separation from God for all eternity. That's, that's one of the realms. The other realm is the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light is the kingdom of God's beloved Son, where we live according to God's ways, in line with His Word, and we live to please Him. And in a sense, for those of you who've already decided to follow Christ, you've already stepped into that kingdom, and you've begun eternal life already. And you have no fear of judgment. Now that's a huge run-through of, of, of everything, history, and, and even before, like in the mind and plan of God, that's what He has uh, communicated to us about what's going on. But the war, it just rages on, and it rages on. And right now, part of our identity is that of soldiers. We are soldiers in a battle, a spiritual battle. So Paul tells Timothy this. He says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. See, a good soldier, he does this. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. He's focused on what the commander says. Soldiers are focused on the mission. They're focused on the battle at hand. But some people, some of us never really engage in that battle. Some of us never really engage or, or understand that we're in a fight. We, we just detach ourselves from the spiritual fight. Some people are actually you know, still fighting against God. They're still going your own way in life. And you're just charting out your own course. You're living independent from God. But if you're a Christ follower, do you see yourself as a soldier? This is the big question. A wise soldier, he, needs, he or she needs to know who they are fighting. Who is the enemy? Who are we battling against? The Scripture teaches this. Christ followers have three enemies. Three enemies. And if you've not ever yielded your life to Christ, then you know, as you're hearing us talk about this, you know, what the Bible says and teaches about it, this may be totally new to you to hear, but I think it would be important as well just to understand what's going on behind the scenes in the unseen realm. So Christ followers, we have three enemies. I, don't, I didn't have a lot of enemies growing up. I got in a few fights. It wasn't with enemies. It just kind of happened. And if you're a guy, you know how that just kind of happens here and there. You know? and, uh, but I didn't have a lot of enemies growing up, so I didn't have to check my back. I never had to walk down the street worried. But you know, sometimes I'll be driving down the street here in our town or anywhere, and, I, and I'll see a guy walking down the street, and he's constantly checking his back. Like, man, that stinks to be you right now. You've got a lot of enemies. Well, the truth is, we have three very cunning, strategic enemies. The Bible defines our enemies this way. It says, the world is one of them, the flesh, and the devil. These enemies are not the same, but they work together and they use certain tactics and they require different strategies to understand, how do I battle with these enemies? Just really briefly, we're going to look at these three enemies in detail over the next three weeks. Look at what the Bible teaches as best as we can in the three weeks. But for the first one, the world, just real quick summary. The world is this. And it, I didn't write a definition, but here's what the world, the enemy of the world is. It's, it's the empty and deceptive philosophy of this world. If you wanted to find the idea of what when the Bible says the world is the enemy, it's, it's the empty and deceptive philosophy of the world. It's the ways of the world. 
It's the way the world says everything should go. It's the current, the pull of the world. We're pulled by this strong current of our culture. That's one of our enemies, the Bible defines. And so look what Paul says. He writes this to the church. He says, a church leader writes to this one church. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Just empty ways of thinking. Worldly, false ways of thinking. Which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. You see, the world's the, the pull of the world is to get us to just take Jesus out of the picture and to create our own plan. How can, how can, and so it happens through media. We get sucked in all sorts of things that, that are empty and deceptive and hollow. And so we need to recognize there's, the, there's a battle. There's an intentional battle against us and our thinking on these areas. The second enemy is the flesh. This is, the flesh is the desire to sin that remains within us after becoming a Christian. So if you've decided to follow Christ, you thought, man, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and then all the desires, all the bad stuff that keeps getting me into trouble, it's all going to just melt away. It all melts in the arms of Jesus. And then you give your life to Him and then you're like, man, why am I still struggling? Why does my heart feel divided? Why am I torn? Unfortunately, the, the flesh... The old nature, the old person is still there, still remains. So there's a tug of war. There's the old me wanting to do the things I used to do, used to be into, and I know don't please God. And then there's the Holy Spirit drawing me towards the things of God, and I feel this pull. That's the enemy of the flesh. We battle against this. Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, so I find this law at work. He says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And then he says, it's internal. For in my inner being... He's talking about the flesh. I delight in God's law. I want to do what's right, but I see another law at work in the members of my body. Like I'm feeling torn, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my, body, within my members. Then he says, what a wretched man I am. He's just describing. He's in trouble. He's, he's frustrated. Who? And then he asks this question, who will rescue me from this body of death? Then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. This is one of our enemies. It's a very powerful enemy, the enemy of the flesh. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. The last enemy is the devil. The devil, Satan, he is a spirit being, and he's head over the demonic world. He is the head, meaning he is the chief demon. And he is actively involved in this world. He's actively involved. He's aggressively looking for Christians to devour to tear apart. He has a dangerous and deceptive set of strategies that he uses in order to carry out his plans. He is not all-powerful. He's not like God. He's not all-powerful. But he has tremendous power. He's also not omniscient, meaning he can't know everything, but he has a great knowledge because he has a network of demons who he gains information from. And so there is many demons that serve or that you know, he is the chief. He's in charge. And so he learns information. And so he builds his knowledge about how to carry out his plans through his demonic network. Another thing is, he is not all present. He's not everywhere. He's, he's limited. But he has, again, he has a demonic following. And so he has plenty of help to carry out his plans. Plenty of help. He's shrewd, the scripture says. He's ruthless. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's out to devour. Look at what Peter writes. Peter, Jesus is one of his closest followers. 
one of the leaders eventually of the church, he wrote this to the church. He said, be self-controlled. And that has to do with our mind. Self-control has to do with our mind. Because that's usually where we go wrong. We don't just lose control like without, and we leave our mind out of it. We, we, we don't rein our mind in and then we sin. Be self-controlled and alert. He says, your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, he's not you know, a kitty. And so we in our culture, we have dumbed down the image of Satan. And we've, we've thought, you know, man with the pitchfork, little tail, horns, shows up at, you know, on cartoons. And, and so we treat the enemy, Satan, more like a kitty cat who just comes up and we're, we know kitty cats, you know, come around, they, they kind of purr near our legs and they, it kind of feels good, if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> Which I don't, I should just clarify. I'm allergic to cats, so it's not hard for me to think of the devil as a cat in a sense because I don't like cats. But he is not this little kitty that just kind of wants to play with us. And he's not like a lion where, you know, like he's playing with his cubs and stuff like that. He's a lion that wants to devour us. He wants to destroy our testimony. One of the things is he's limited. He cannot destroy, he can't, he can't damn a Christian to hell, but he can devour us. He, what he can do is he can destroy our testimony. He can, if we're, if we're trying to help others come to know Christ, he can, he can, Ruin our testimony so that we feel unable to really be a help in the kingdom fight and in the war. And so that's why when we were singing like about we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, our testimony is very important. And so He's out to destroy our testimony. He's out to ruin this life. He knows that the next life is, is already bought and paid for through the blood of Jesus for all Christians. And so that has been done and dealt with, but He can, he can really do a number on us in this life. If we think, you know, he just plays nice with us. So Peter says, resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. You know, and this happens throughout in different ways. So we're encouraged. We're encouraged to just... to to understand how he works. We're encouraged to, to battle against him, to resist him. Now this happens on all sorts of fronts. Warfare happens in government circles. It happens in the church where the enemy tries to get us moving in the wrong direction or against each other. It happens against missionaries. It happens against us. It happens against other believers. And so we're encouraged to pray. We just need to understand the tactics of the enemy and we need to know how to battle so that, you know, so that we're not just detaching ourselves thinking, oh, this, this world is great. There's nothing going on. No, there's a real war. We need to understand the enemies and then how do we battle against them? That's what this whole series is about. I've got a familiar clip from Indiana Jones, where Indiana Jones, he sizes up his enemy. He sizes up his enemy, and he responds with the right weapon to fight this one enemy. And you need to know your enemy. Well, let's take a look. <laughs> I love that. You know, 
He sizes up his enemy. This one, I, I you just deal with him that way. But there's other parts where Indiana Jones, you know, he can't quite defeat the enemy with a gun. You know, what do you do when the enemy is unseen? And in this situation we're talking about, what do you do when the enemy is the flesh? What do you just, you know, and some people they do. They end their lives. Some people, when they're trying to battle the enemy and spiritual attack, there's an unseen um, battle going on and they feel this unseen attack. How do you battle it? You don't battle that with a gun. We need to understand the enemies we're fighting and how to wage war against the different enemies. So we're going to look at this over the next four weeks. We want to really try to help you engage at the level of understanding and then practical um, spiritual warfare. How do we engage in this battle? Here's some just brief general advice as we kind of wrap things up this morning. This is advice from a seasoned warrior in general, from Paul, an old man to a young church leader. First, he says, hold on to your faith. Some people, they let go of their faith. Right in the middle of the battle, we're tempted to loosen our grip. And so Paul writes this to a young church leader. He says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction with the pro- in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. Holding on to the faith in a good conscience, some have rejected these and, sh- and so have shipwrecked their faith. Some people, they just stop trusting God in the midst of the battle. They, th- they think God's not really here and they stop trusting their lives to Him. They stop, you know, really, they start taking their lives into their own hands. And when the pressure's on, we see a shortcut to get what we really want. We're tempted to just go off roads and head out of bounds spiritually. We can start subtly loosening our grip on the truth of what God says in the Bible. And we loosen our grip. We don't hold to our faith. We don't hold to trusting in the Lord and what He's he stated. And Paul says, people who do that, they hurt themselves. So he says, don't do that. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to the truth. Hold on to your faith. The fact that if you've come to know Him, the fact that you truly have come to know Him and that you need to keep trusting Him. Hold on to that. Second thing is, another piece of advice from a seasoned warrior is, remember that Almighty God is on your side. We're all in a battle. You cannot forget who fights with you. Paul declares this thought and he, with confidence, strengthens, he strengthened himself in this verse. 2 Timothy 1.12 he says, yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him for that day. He's saying, I know that God is powerful enough to watch over my life. I've given Him my life and I know that God is powerful enough to watch over what I've given Him. He's on my side. He fights with me and for me. Later, Paul states this. Paul was on trial for spreading Christianity. And it says this. Paul says, at my first defense while he was on trial, he says, no one came to my support. Nobody came alongside him to say, hey, he's done nothing wrong. or he. No one came, but everyone deserted me. He felt deserted. Then he said, may it not be held against them. Here's why. But the Lord stood at my side and He gave me strength. He's letting them know, look, God didn't leave me. He said, all my friends, I couldn't find any friends when I was in the middle of it, but God stood at my side. It sounds very, very similar to what King David in Psalm 23 declared. When he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We need to be remembering that God Almighty is on our side when we're battling. And then a final word of advice from Paul to Timothy is, finish strong. Finish strong. Paul, when he's writing this final letter, he was the man that was really responsible for the movement of Christianity throughout Asia Minor and on into Europe. He was just a a really faithful 
man of God. But at this point when he's writing, he's an old man sitting in a jail cell for spreading the name of Jesus, and he's awaiting his execution. He was going to be beheaded by the emperor Nero. But he didn't fear death. He knew that God had used him to, to create this wildfire of Christianity that really has continued on to this day. That's why we're sitting here, because men like Paul stuck their neck out there for us to spread this message. And so Paul says this at the end of his life. He writes, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. What he's saying is, I'm about done. I'm about to die. But he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He's, he's saying, I have fought the good fight. That means I've agonized for this. I fought hard. I finished. Over a lifetime, he's saying, I finished. I have kept the faith. Now, he says, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul, he was a finisher. He was an old man at this point. He finished the race. And that's what I want. If the Lord allows me to live 30, 40 more years, 50 years, I want to be a person that can say, you know, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Some of you, you may be nearing your retirement years. And you're, you're fighting this battle. You've been fighting and swinging the sword all your life. You've been walking with God and you're trying to stay faithful to Him. I want to encourage you, just keep fighting the battle. Don't give in. Don't cave in to the enemy, whether it's the world, the flesh, or the devil. Just keep fighting. My generation, we need to see people who actually finish the race. So many people, they, they tap out far too early. We need to see people who are going to finish the race, finish strong till the end. If you're in your 20s, or you're in your 30s, and you're walking with Christ, you might think, you know, I've got a whole life ahead of me. I've got plenty of time. And you know, maybe the Lord will allow that. If the Lord wills you to have a long life, don't waste it. If we're going to make it to the end, we cannot lose sight of the battle that we're in. We can't waste our life. We need to be engaged in this battle. There are all sorts of people that God is wanting to use us Rescue from the domain of darkness. Just like all of us decided at one point to go our own way in life. That's something we all have in common. We've all decided to go our own way in life. And many of you have decided to turn around from going your own way and start going God's way. Well, there's all sorts of people still walking their own way in life that need us to get in their way, to love, to serve, and to say, hey, have you considered turning your life to Christ? But that's a spiritual battle. As soon as you decide to make your life about helping others be rescued from the domain of darkness, you can almost count on attack. That the attack will increase in your own life. But stay, stay faithful to the end. As the band comes up, I want to just tell you briefly about a, a man. His name is William Borden. William Borden was a man who lived about 100 years ago. He came from a wealthy family, the Borden Dairy family. I don't know if any of you have... I have drink Borden milk. Anybody here familiar with Borden dairies? A couple people. Borden dairies got the cow and the flowers in it. They're still selling, you know, milk and well, William Borden, he was from that family, very wealthy family, and as a graduation present, he was given a cruise around the world from high school graduation. So he goes on this cruise around the world and while he was cruising around the world, he developed a burden for those who were far from Christ and he wanted to commit his life to helping Others come to know Jesus Christ. Because he found there was all sorts of people that had no idea that what, had, what God had done in the person of Jesus. So he, he came home from his cruise and he spent the next seven years in education. And part of that was in training to just be effective, to go overseas in the mission field 
And so he started training in ministry. And while he was in school during those years, he penned in his Bible the words, no reserves. He wrote this phrase in his Bible, no reserves. And he put his, he basically put his life and he put his future fortune aside and he dedicated himself for the cause of Christ. He just said, you know, his family wanted him to basically give his life to the dairy and to building an empire and to making lots of money. The guy could have had millions. And instead, he decided he was going to just lay that aside. And so he decides to go overseas and he writes in his Bible, alongside the word no, the phrase no reserves, he writes no retreat. And his family, again, they wanted him just to focus there and to focus on what they were trying to build, but he decided to go overseas. He went to China. Later he went to Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, he contracted cerebral meningitis and he died within a month. Only 26, less than 26 year old, never even reached his 26th birthday. And when, after his death, someone was looking through his Bible, they discovered these final words, no regrets. No reserves, no retreat, no regrets. He decided to keep fighting for the faith. As long as the Lord gave him, he was a young man, died as a young man. He entered into eternity, and the Lord Jesus said, hey, well done, you have been faithful. You finished the race, you fought the good fight. You made your life really count. I hope we'll understand we're in a spiritual war. We need to keep stepping forward in faith and in obedience. Take out this, uh, if you would, this white connection card. And we always like to lay a few steps out on this card as far as some next steps from this morning's message. So here's a few next steps you might consider. Number one would be to begin praying through these passages that you see in your listening guide in a personal way. Maybe take some of these verses from the Bible. And just begin to pray and personalize these. God, would you help me endure hardship with, like a, a good soldier? Help me not to get caught focused on civilian affairs. Help me to please you as my commanding officer. Sometimes we can pray Scripture, and this is a very, very powerful thing to do, is learning to pray Scripture. It's a very powerful part of engaging in the spiritual war. Another thing is reject lies and declare the truth. There's all sorts of lies that come at us about our faith, about our own standing in Christ. Reject the lies. Christ has already won. God is always with me. I need to remind myself of that at times, that God Almighty is on my side. I don't want to let go of that. It's part of holding on to the faith. He will see us through. The third one is memorize 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's a life verse. If you don't have a verse that you've memorized, this is a great one to start. This is a destination for us to focus our lives on. And then one final one you'll see that we threw up there for today related to the spring picnic. If you're, if you're one of our OCC you know, family, you come here often, I would encourage you, would you meet someone you don't know today at the picnic? That would really be a huge help to us this morning. We just want everyone to feel welcome. We're going to have a great time out there. Let's go to the Lord in, in prayer as we pray. Father, we love You. We just thank You for winning the battle. And Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would continue your work of rescuing for those that are still in the domain of darkness, blinded to the truth about you. Lord, I pray that you would do a real work through the power of your Holy Spirit rescuing people. Use us as a congregation, Lord, even to just to be used by you, Lord, to love people, to serve people, to lay down our lives, Lord, to help others to come to know you. And Lord, for those of us who've already decided to follow you, we just ask that you'd help us to 
not lose sight, not to detach from what's happening in this cosmic war. Help us to play the role You've asked us to play, Lord. Strengthen us, God, through the power of Your Son, Jesus. Lord, thank You for what You've done, dying on the cross in our place, giving us a way to be forgiven of our sins. Lord, help us to be in the battle day in, day out. Lord, over the course of our life, help us to be people who finish this race. Lord, we love You. Help us, God, even over the next three weeks as we look at this topic, help us really understand what You want us to know, Lord. For those that are here that, you know, this is a new thing, Lord, I pray that um, You would help answer all the questions they have, Lord, and help them eventually, Lord, to come to know You in in a real way. We love You and we pray for the day ahead. Just keep us safe and Lord, we look forward to just a fun afternoon together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a moment, our ushers are going to come around and receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And so, um, as they do, would you drop this white connection card in there? And if you came prepared to give today...